Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series entitled The Biblical Principles for Governing the Eyes. This is Lesson 20, and uh, this is going to be a very focused lesson. Uh, we're going to talk about in this lesson especially the perils and the impact of a man not focusing his sight on his wife and a woman not focusing her sight on her husband. Um, the consequences of that, what, what does that mean? And I know we've ta I've talked about that in numerous times throughout these uh, lessons, but this one, there just needs to be a lesson that's just focused on this. And uh, regardless of how long it ends up being, just need to focus on this. So, uh, some people operate on the old adage, or by the old adage, there's no harm in just looking. Nothing could be further from the truth. To say there's no harm in just looking is essentially denying the power of sight and denying the consequences of sight. Because just looking ultimately becomes just lusting. Uh, the point is, if my eyes are not seeing other women, then no wayward desires can be drawing me after them. I'm not going to aim at what I'm not looking at. I'm not going to uh I'm not going to linger on what I'm not seeing. I'm not going to eventually long for what I'm not seeing. And while we've talked about uh, this in principle and generalities in a lot of different ways, we are uh, uh we're we're we need to talk about this. Okay, uh, I don't know how true this is. It seems true. Uh, and I'm sure that it's not absolute. But I heard, uh, read, whatever it was, someone make the statement that uh, men are stimulated by sight and women are stimulated to participate in intimate relations by emotions, feelings. Uh, I'm sure that that's not 100% true. Uh, I have feelings for my wife that are based on more than just sight. And I hopefully my wife is attracted to me with what she sees, uh, even though I don't look like what she married by a significant degree, uh, because we've been married 51 years. But uh, I know that she is much more attuned to uh, being uh, a wife to me in all ways if she feels loved and cherished. Now, it's not that men don't want to be loved. I do. 
It's not that men don't want to be cherished. I do. But I also cannot deny that uh, men and women are different. They're not the same. They are equal in importance. Well, that's not really true. Men are not equal to women. Women are not equal to men. Thank God. Thank God. Men do not, men were not given the ability to reproduce life. Uh, we were not. Our contribution to that is very minimal and doesn't take much time. Uh, so uh, there's no way a woman is equal to a man. She's far superior to that. Okay. And so we are different. We are different. We, we all have feelings. We all have eyes. And we can misuse the eyes and we can misuse the feelings. But we are different. And uh, it seems as though the Creator created men to be uh, stimulated or uh, excited by what they see. Uh, and it seems as primarily, and it seems as though women are created to pr- primarily be stimulated or excited by how they're treated. I know right now, right now, I could go work on further straightening out my closet, which is more of a disaster than anything else. And just taking time to help take care of things that matter to her. She is a lot more affectionate with me than she is when she is frustrated with my piles of stuff all over the place. And yet at the same time, uh, as much as I appreciate all that she does for me, she still is attractive to my eyes. I'm still, uh, part of my motivation toward her is still my eyes. She can still get my attention. Now, when I promised that I would uh, keep myself for her only, so long as we we, we were both alive, uh, I made that vow to her and God. When I promised that, Okay, you know, uh, the the world says, same old, same old. It also says, well, how can you buy a pair of shoes you don't try on? Well, that is totally taking the God element out of two people coming together. That's totally denying that God made two people for one another. Now, does everybody find that person? Unfortunately, some do not because they're not looking God's way. They're not looking the way he has prescribed for that to happen. And so we, uh, you know, we have, we have situations that end up tragically. And, of course, here's the problem. It might not have been the will of God before you said I do, but according to the word of God, after you say I do, that, is the, that person is the will of God for you. And you can talk about whether or not they're the perfect will of God. That all becomes irrelevant when you say I do. There's no such thing as perfect and permissive will of God after you say, I do. That person is the will of God for you. You say, well, what if I made a mistake? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you think about whether or not you you missed it or not. The bottom line is, 
for your soul's sake, once you say, I do, that man, that woman is the will of God for you. Now, yes, it is true that vows can be violated. Bonds can be broken. Hurt can be done that's so damaging it can't be repaired. Uh, I was in a situation recently where a person that uh, I know fairly well, uh, married to an individual I know pretty well, uh, and he has been unfaithful to her on numerous occasions, but on all those years, she has forgiven him over and over and over again. That's her choice. I'm not judging her for that. Uh, whatever the motive behind her choice, whether she loved him or if it was security or whatever it was, that's not my, that's not my, uh, my right to judge that or even to evaluate that. She, that was her husband, and she had the right to decide whether or not to forgive him and stay with him or to, biblically, she had the right to separate and divorce him. And uh, she was speaking of another person that we both knew who, whose husband had um, not forgiven, had been unfaithful to her uh, numerous times. And she was related to this person. And she said to her, uh, if you can't forgive him, you better divorce him. Well, I can't forgive him. Well, then, you need, then you'll have to divorce him. Because the only way you can stay together is forgiving. And that's true. So harm is done when we're not faithful to those vows, when we have broken those vows with somebody else. Harm is done. Now, if the spouse that is not the one who broke the vows uh, has the grace of God to be willing to stay with that one and that person wants to stay in the marriage and they can forgive them and not bring it up to them every other day or every time there's something going wrong, then it would be the will of God, if possible, for them to stay together. But at the same time, if that person has broken the vows, if the other person is not able to truly forgive them to the point that they could ever trust them again, then they it's not fair to either party for them to stay in that relationship. So all of this becomes into play simply because somebody gave looks to someone that was not their spouse, that belonged only to their spouse. Again, it all starts with a look. An undisciplined, ungoverned eye is where it all starts. And uh, I have no right to give another woman the looks that belong to my wife. I have no right. I have no right. So, again, the point is, if my eyes are not seeing other women, then no wayward desires will be drawing me after them. Let's read a little bit here from the wise man Solomon. Uh, and you, this has got to be God because he learned the hard way. I don't know how many wives he had. Was it 300 wives and a couple of thousand concubines? I don't even know how that's possible. But apparently there were women he thought were beautiful he didn't want anybody else to have so he married them or made brought them into his house as concubines even though he could not have possibly had a relationship with them all just to keep somebody else from having it now you're talking about covetousness that's pretty covetous especially when the scripture says to instructed the kings of israel to not multiply unto themselves wives because they'll be a snare unto you well they, that that happens that way 
So Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, beginning there, it reads this way, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoiced with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Now, I don't really think I have to make this statement, but since I'm teaching, I will. Uh, I don't think, even though the language is very figurative, I don't think anybody has any questions what this is talking about. He's talking about the intimacy that he designed, that he instituted, that he created to exist between a man and a woman, specifically between a husband and a wife, because the institution of marriage was created by God. He founded it. He created Adam, and then out of Adam's side, he took a rib, and he created Eve, and God, he brought her unto the man, and they became one. So, you know, I, I, I without being, uh, without being, uh, crude or rude or embarrassing to anybody here, here I was raised in the church and this is wrong, 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 wrong all of your life, all my life. And all of a sudden I say these words in front of a preacher and what has been wrong all my life and what I've tried to avoid all my life is suddenly okay. Well, I got to tell you something. That was just a little, I, I couldn't shift gears quite that fast, frankly. It wasn't exactly easy to, uh, to, uh, be involved in things without having some residual guilt, uh, over the fact that I've been avoiding this all this time and trying not to think about it and not, certainly not wanting to be involved with it because I wanted to go to heaven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was sin and, Fornication is a sin against your own body and all of this. It's true. It's all true. It's true. And then all of a sudden I'm married and this is all okay. I'm just being transparent here with you, but it's a, it's a problem. But I go back to the fact that God made this. And what right do men have to take what God created for good and for wholesome pleasure that he considers to be positive and turn it into something negative. What right do we have to do that? And it goes so far as to say this, you know, uh, Paul said it, we're not supposed to defraud one another because my body belongs to my wife and my wife's body belongs to me. Her body doesn't belong to her. We said, I do. My body doesn't belong to me. We said, I do. And Paul said, we are to render unto one another due benevolence. Well, that's, again, that's, uh, terminology. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, figurative language to talk about what men and husbands and wives do together. And the fact that I don't have a right to say no and she doesn't have a right to say no because we are not only married because we love God and we fear God 
and we love each other, but we are also married because flesh is flesh, and we want to we want our flesh to be satisfied. Notice this again, Proverbs five uh, <laughs> nineteen. Uh, Let her be as the loving hind and the present pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Ravished always with her love. Always. We've been married 51 years. And the Lord says that what he designed is supposed to be able to satisfy me all of my life. It's when I'm not faithful to her in what God said to me, or and or she's not faithful to me in what God said to me, that a door is opened not not blaming anybody. It's still a matter of choice. But a door is opened. A door is opened. And now the eyes are sensitive. I, 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 this is probably too transparent, but I'm trying to help you. I remember, I remember years ago, especially, before I understood all this, you know, I'd, I'd go on a trip, especially a trip out of the country, Without my wife. And if I'm going a week, two weeks, all of a sudden I knew it's time to go home. Because when everything I saw started looking good, I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I want. This is not what I want. This is not the way I want to think. It's not the way I want to feel. And so that was kind of like my little warning signal. Uh, You've been gone too long. It's time to go home. It's time to go home. You got a wife. God gave her to me and gave me to her. And that's, we're the only ones. This is it. There is nobody else that can fulfill these, uh, this role and satisfy these needs. But what if I don't go by the word of God? What if I don't? Then all of a sudden, flesh is flesh and it's not submitted to God, not submitted to the word of God and flesh is flesh. And the next thing you know, Flesh is uh, looking. And maybe, hopefully, I fear God enough that even though I look and even though I lust, hopefully I won't, I won't get with another woman. Hopefully I won't. But does that mean there's no damage done? Does that mean there's no damage done? Does that mean there's nothing negative that happened because that door was open, regardless of how wide it was open or regardless of how long it was open. Does that mean there's no damage done? If nothing else, it damaged my own self-respect. Nothing else. I, I, don't, I don't want to be thinking about somebody else. I love my wife. I don't want anybody else but my wife. But flesh is flesh. And I have said this before, and I mean it. I may be old, but I'm not dead. And I'm not blind either. And I've not reached the place. And, and I don't know any men. There may be some. I don't know any men that have reached the place that their, their eyes don't see anymore. Okay? And so the body may not always react like it used to, uh, in some people's lives. But the eyes work, and they do what they've always done. The eyes trigger images, and the images have memories and 
things associated with it, experiences with it. And the next thing you know, the flesh is wanting to experience those things again. And now I've got temptation. I've got temptation. That's why my eyes have to be guarded that I'm not looking at someone else the way I'm supposed to be looking for at my mate. I can't let myself get by with it. I can't say, well, I'm just a man and men look. How stupid is that? How acceptable is that? It's not acceptable. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's, it, it, it is an open door and hopefully I never walk through that door, but the door's still there. It has to be closed again. There has to be a restoration of my relationship with God because I've done some damage because I've been unfaithful to Him because biblically, natural adultery and spiritual adultery are not really separated because natural adultery is violating the Word of God and my relationship with God. And so I've just committed spiritual adultery because I'm a part of the bride of Christ and Christ is our groom and, and I have, I have sought for things to, to fulfill me that he said I don't need to be involved with. So what do I do? What do I do? How do I not let that happen? Well, Ecclesiastes 99 says live joyfully with the, the, with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Now, I know men who have uh, lost their wives and out of loneliness and hopefully love, they remarried. Sometimes it's worked out okay, sometimes it hasn't. I... I my wife has spoiled me rotten. She's spoiled me. She's taken such good care of me, and she's loved me so much. I don't even want to think about being a widower and being alone again. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that because the choice between living alone because I love my wife so much I can't, couldn't imagine replacing her to being lonely because I know what it's like to have someone that you love and that loves you and what it, how good it feels to belong to somebody and to know somebody belongs to you out of the whole world. Out of the whole world to know you belong to somebody. Somebody claims you and that you, you, someone belongs to you out of the whole world. You belong to each other. I know how good that feels. It's one of the most Wonderful feelings of the world. The first time I really had that thought as clearly as it was, I was on an airplane. And uh, I was coming home from an overseas trip. And we had already had Baltimore in sight. And I'm immediately thinking, not about landing and getting my luggage, but my wife is going to be made, waiting for me uh, in our car on the curb. And I couldn't wait to get to see her. And it was such a wonderful feeling. And that's when I, it just, the Lord put it in my mind, I'm sure, how awesome it was to belong to somebody and for them to belong to me out of the whole world. I love my sons. I love their wives. I love all my grandchildren. I love all of them. I never made a vow to be a father. I made a vow to be a husband. They have their own lives, and I'm happy for them. They have their own families, and I'm happy for them. 
But there's one purse in this whole world that's mine and I'm hers, period. Why would I want to risk damaging that? You say, well, our relationship isn't like that. Well, our relationship hadn't been perfect either. First of all, she had to try to learn to live with me, and I'm a hard person to live with. I'm a very focused person, and I can just put everything else out of my mind when I've got my tunnel vision working to the extent that there are things that I need to do as a husband that I don't even think about. It's not a the question of thinking about it and choosing not to do it. I just didn't even think about it. The only thing, didn't think about it. And so I'm, you know, uh, I'm de- defrauding her of what she it should have a right to expect of me as a husband in all areas. Well, I, I, I don't want to lose that because I let some momentary dissatisfaction over some fuss we had or some perceived offense that we've between us or whatever open a door in me so that my eyes can believe they have permission to look to look the principle does not just apply to the woman the women i see in the course of life every day It's also true, even if I'm only watching women on some type of video presentation, movie, TV, web-hosted video, or on the Internet. It is just as wrong to lust after a woman that I will never meet and never know and could never have a physical relationship with and then fantasize about her. And pleasure myself over that is just as wrong from God's perspective. Now, thankfully, it's not the same thing as committing the act, thankfully, but it's still just as wrong. It's just as damaging. It's damaging. Now, I may never attempt to pursue some woman that I'm looking at in a movie or video online. Nevertheless, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 28, my fantasies about her are just as immoral and perverse from his perspective as if I hooked up with her physically. Now, we'll say this, and and this is not exactly what I had intended to close with, but I'm going to close with this. I've had better situations where there was a woman who actually committed adultery, uh, and her husband had a problem with pornography, and she was trying to tell me, even though she didn't know that I knew she was already involved in adultery, uh, she, uh, she tried to play the innocent party and said to me that she had a right to divorce her husband based on the grounds of adultery because, not because of anything he did except for his addiction to pornography and his participation in pleasure because of pornography. And I took the stand and believe the stand to this day. It's not the same thing. That that's a problem of the heart and that's a heart between him and God. And while it is, it is not rendering unto his wife due benevolence. It's not adultery. It's not adultery. Not marriage divorce based motive for adultery. It's doesn't, it's not adultery that made her the innocent party. 
that would allow her to biblically divorce and remarry. Is it okay? It's not okay. Is it damaging to the relationship? Yes, it's damaging to the relationship. And my experience is with several people I've dealt with, the wife has a long memory with that, and the difficulty at times is hard for them to regain their trust in the husband as much over Internet pornography as it was as if they'd actually committed adultery. But trust me, it is not the same thing. I have dealt with the damages done by the act that were never the same damages as were there uh, in just fantasies. And again, I say just fantasies. I'm only saying that in in comparison to the act, not as comparison to the way God feels about it. It's wrong from God's perspective. It's not right toward the wife, but it's not adultery toward the wife. It's adultery in God's eyes. It's adultery in God's eyes. So I do not have a right to take the looks that belong to my wife alone and give them to other people, even if I never do anything about it. All of that hurt, all of that pain, all of that whatever, whether there's a divorce that happens or not, children involved, ministries involved possibly, and whatever, all of that starts with one look. A look that then lingers and then starts longing, and then the plans are made to act on it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, even though I've been a little more plain on this than some of you might be, Uh, comfortable with. I don't apologize. We need to talk frankly these days because there's never been a time in my lifetime when there's been more of an active spirit of lust, adultery, fornication, and perversion affecting people in our world as it is right now. They say in advertising, sex sells, and we are bombarded with it Everywhere we go, billboards, even in newspapers, in in, in magazines, catalogs that are not supposed to be racy magazines. We have pictures they put in there that are all suggestive because sex sells. They put girls with skimpy clothes on to sell cars or whatever. You know, they put a guy with... Uh, skimpy clothes on in a p- place to sell uh, stuff to women. They 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 create atmosphere. What if you wear this perfume? This sexy guy is going to come on to you. If you wear this kind of cologne, this sexy women are going to just be falling all over your feet. Everything is about that. There has to be in Jesus' name spiritual boundaries of separation. Spiritual boundaries of separation that are established in our lives, that protect us. They're not for the purpose of depriving us or imprisoning us. They're for the purpose of protecting us. I pray in Jesus' name that this lesson has gotten your attention. And if you're single watching this lesson, I pray that God has talked to you in this lesson. Because you don't get married so that you don't commit adultery. Because that lust is going to go away pretty quickly. And if love is not there to bind that relationship together and cause you to want each other, that marriage is not going to last. 
You may obey God and stay married, but there won't be a relationship there. And how sad that is to be together just because you have to. It's like those, whether they're in the church or not, that stay married because of the kids and have no relationship. That's not the will of God. I will say this before I close this session. My wife being five and a half years younger than me and uh, being pretty young when we got married, uh, she was a woman, all woman, but she was young. And uh, as an older college graduate, there were things that I thought about her that needed to change. And so I spent years trying to change stuff in her foolishly, foolishly. And I, I, uh, I was struggling with that. Sometime right around our 10th anniversary, I can't even imagine what her, I don't, I don't want to think about what her life was like, what I put her through. But I, uh, the Lord spoke to me one day and said, are there things about you that you don't like? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, Lord, you know there are. I pray, I talk to you about them all the time. He said, uh, have you changed them? And I said, Lord, again, you know how much of a struggle it's been at times to change those things. And he said to me, and so you've got things about you you don't like and things that you've tried to change you, you can't change. And yet you think your wife should change just because you tell her to. He said, you need to see her with my eyes and not your eyes. And so I began to pray, Lord, I know you love her just like she is. Let me see her with your eyes so that I can love her with your love instead of seeing her with these flawed eyes and trying to love her with this human love. He did that. He did that. It was amazing the change. Well, the most curious thing happened. I noticed over the next six months to a year, that all of a sudden she started changing. She started doing the stuff I tried to get her to do all along. And I went to her and I said, wait, wait, I don't understand this. Why is it that all these years I tried to get you to do this and not do this and be like this? and You, you didn't do it. And now that it doesn't matter anymore because I love you just like you are, now you change. And she said, it just floored me and hurt really bad uh, for her. I hurt really bad for what I'd put her through. She said, when you were trying to change me, I believed that you only loved me, would only love me if I met your expectations and standards. But when I realized you had changed and you loved me just like you, just like I am, all of a sudden, I wanted to change and realized I was able to change because it, now it wasn't about earning your love or deserving your love. It was about wanting to be what I needed to be. And as my husband and my pastor, you wanted these things to, to happen. I wanted them to happen too, but I couldn't do it because it felt like I was doing it to try to earn something that I thought was mine anyway. And so... I'm saying to you as the last part of this lesson, I beg of you for your sake and your marriage's sake, 
whether you're a husband or a wife, pray and ask God to open your eyes and let you see your mate with his eyes and let him love you and, and for him to love them through you with his love. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. And these last 41 years have been very different than those first 10. We loved each other, but it was always a tension there. There was always a problem. And I got to be honest with you. In that kind of situation, there were times I struggled with my eyes. But thank God, God and my wife were patient with me. I never did anything about it. I never was unfaithful to her. That didn't mean I didn't struggle with stuff. And it was always a lie. Well, this one would treat you like this, or this one would be like this, or this one would do this that you told her to do. It was all a lie. It was a lie. I pray for you in Jesus' name that you would be able to receive the grace of God, that you would be able to, uh, to let him give you his eyes that you might be a conduit of his love and that your marriage would become all that he desires for it to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.